Hello and welcome to the St Edmunds podcast. I'm Natalie May and I'm here again at the London Trauma Conference. This morning joined by Ross Fisher who's a paediatric surgeon from Sheffield. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for agreeing to have a chat with us. You did a talk yesterday about paediatric trauma research and you talked this morning about rethinking paediatric trauma. So one of the challenges you gave us this morning was to rethink our perspective on paediatric trauma. Can you give us a bit of an idea about what you meant by that? I think principally... Everyone has an opinion on paediatric trauma, and I'm intrigued that we have such because it's so rare. And that once we accept that it's rare, that then affects the way that we will manage the next paediatric trauma that we see, whether we're emergency physicians, paediatric surgeons, anaesthetists, or in the field. And that it's important that we recognise, as I said in the talk, that kids are not small adults, that we can't just dumb down or reduce what we would normally do for adults and expect children to have the same anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, trauma pathophysiology, and therefore different injury patterns, different investigations, different management. And so it's not about criticising people, but just saying this is different to what you do the vast majority of the time. So it was a call to give paediatrics a sort of special amount of attention really and to appreciate the differences which seems to sit a little bit at odds with Simon from the St Eminem's blog and podcast who has encouraged us to think of children as little adults but actually it sounds like you're you're not telling people to to step away and from all of their adult knowledge just to recognize that the differences are there and that it's worthy of some absolutely it's I'm not an emergency physician and so the numbers that I was using come from the Tarnet database, and it's simply about seeing that, for instance, the majority of children with major trauma are going to district general hospitals currently. That hopefully will change with the trauma reorganisation, but that when we're faced with children, we mustn't think that they are the same and will behave the same as an adult. That's not to minimise the skills that people have in looking after the adults, but to change their perspective a little bit. So, of course, they are in the same species, but they just behave differently, and that's the essential fact of the perspective. One of the things that got some attention on Twitter was your views about the use of fast scanning and ultrasound in paediatric trauma, and that's something that you've tweeted and talked about before. So could you just recap your viewpoint on that for us? The reason for saying it is to challenge people's perspective. I'm intrigued by fast scanning because of the lack of evidence that fast scanning in children is efficacious. The best studies that I've been able to find, and each time I speak on it, I challenge people to do better, show a 50% sensitivity and specificity. That's tossing a coin. Now, additionally, the decision-making on the basis of what you were to find on a positive or negative fast scan are different in children. And so that's the perspective, is to realise that whilst you may be an expert in fast scanning in adults, your accuracy will not be the same in children, and the decision-making on the basis of that will be different. It's about a different perspective. It's not saying that fast scanning is not useful in adult practice, because that's not what I know. But the evidence in paediatric trauma management is not there to support fast scanning in the same way. Now, that's an opinionated paediatric surgeon, but actually that opinion was backed up when I worked in the Royal College of Radiology Paediatric Trauma Imaging Guidelines, and we covered all radiological imaging in children. 
And the question was raised about fast scanning, and the unanimous opinion of the radiologists was that fast scanning was not appropriate. So in summary, it's, it's just not reliable enough in kids. It doesn't give us the information that we need to make the decisions that we need to be able to make in trauma. Yes, no. and additionally, because of its lack of accuracy, the decisions that you make are based on a 50% chance of being wrong. So uh, what I say to people when I t- talk on courses is, if you want to do a fast scan, that's fine. I'm not going to stop people. I don't have the wisdom or the knowledge. But your decision-making on the basis of that will be affected. And if you recognize the different perspective, that you have a 50% chance of being wrong, positive or negative, then the question is, what's the value? Now, additionally, the papers are reporting the very best practice. And I would challenge the majority of people with very little experience of paediatric trauma that their skills are going to be even less good in children than the best reported literature. And so that, that's all I'm doing is reporting what the literature shows. The best imaging for paediatric blunt abdominal trauma is a CT scan. And that's what the Royal College of Radiology Guidelines says. And so yes. We've got a, a summary blog post on that, which we can link to in the, in the blog and the notes for the podcast. And you talked yesterday about some of the perceptions that we have about challenges facing research in paediatric trauma. And you also gave us some ideas about how we can overcome those. Where would you start with paediatric trauma research? A simple audit project. We just have to look and see, are we doing what we think we're doing? So that everyone can do an audit project and see if they meet the guidelines for simple tasks, and then start to build that from there. The world of paediatric trauma research, as I showed yesterday in the talk, is less than half a percent of the research done in adult trauma. There just isn't done. It isn't done. Why it isn't done is clearly a challenge. I think the emergence of paediatric emergency medicine as a speciality is going to change the world dramatically for care of patients and also for research into that. But people have not taken the time, they've assumed it's difficult, they think that children are the same as small adults, and so there isn't the research available that would be informing our decision-making processes in the same way as it is available in adult practice. Definitely lots of opportunities for paediatric trauma research and particularly in the UK and Ireland through the Peruki network. So if you're interested, get in touch with us and we can put you in touch with them. And lastly, we have a shared passion in improving presentation skills, both for ourselves and for other people. So tell me a little bit about that and about your blog and projects on presentation skills. I think the vast majority of us, when we go to a meeting, recognise that the passion, the wisdom, the insights the learning that is shared from the stage is lost by the time you leave the room. And that, to me, is is a great sadness because there is amazing wisdom being shared, insights and opportunities, and that it's not the knowledge but the way that it's transferred that leads to its loss. And so I've set about trying to change that because I know that it doesn't work for me. Now, at first I thought that that was simply a style thing, but the more I've looked, the more it's clear that there's a scientific basis to our dislike of the way that information is presented. And so changing the way that we consider constructing a talk, constructing the story within the talk, and then illustrating that talk changes the way we deliver it and, amazingly, changes the way it's received and 
disseminated. And that's, that's great, so that the wisdom that we've heard from speakers on the stage will go further than simply into the auditorium, but out into real life and change practice. And there were some great examples of tools that you used during your talk this morning that have helped us to recall more of that information. So you started and finished with the same video and the challenge to rethink perspective. You also used a really nice device of the number 73 and the number 37 and in a context of the Big Bang Theory and used that as a through-running thread through your talk which tied a lot of the statistics together so I could probably remember a lot more about the actual figures that you used in your talk whereas other people have talked about various data points that have gone straight out of my head. Uh, have you got any other tips for people listening who want to improve their presentation skills? Where should they start, for example? So to make a talk better, you need to know what you're talking about, which sounds really obvious, but a simple technique I use is something called the elevator pitch. That effectively, if you only have 30 seconds to tell me about the whole of your talk, and you can't tell me that, in that short period of time, effectively an elevator ride, then you don't know what you're talking about. And so developing an understanding of who your audience are, what they want to hear, where they are when you start and where they want to be at the end is very different in constructing a talk than simply saying, I'm going to talk about paediatric trauma. Because all topics are bigger than the amount of time you have available. So what you need is a simple, single message for people to take away. So hopefully, today, people understood that they need a different perspective on paediatric trauma. Not saying that one thing is good or bad, but just to change their perspective. And once you do that, then the story, the first part of your talk, is easier to prepare. And then when you come to illustrate that, what I call P2, the second part of your talk, is about storyboarding and having images that will help your talk rather than it being text, which we simply read out as a script. And that, in my experience, helps and makes a big difference. Is there anyone that you've seen during the course of the conference whose presentation styles uh, you've been particularly impressed with? Professor Moran was the first speaker in the research group, and he has a confidence which comes of knowledge, but his talk was based around a story. It based around what we call an arc of a story. As you watch it like a film or a, a book, you can see a beginning and you can see where you hope to be in the end. And his supportive media, the slides, were simple and direct with a simple message, rather than trying to convey the whole message through the slides. So I was, I was really impressed with that. I will need to let you go and get a cup of tea, which you well deserve. Thank you so much for talking to us. My pleasure. Um, and it will be good to catch up again with you soon. Thank you.